This is Paul Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. At Gallant Says on Twitter. Text into the show at 710-710. Hello and welcome aboard the Paul Gallant Show on this Thursday, August 12th of 2021. I am Paul Gallant. I don't like Field of Dreams. And this is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. 710-710 on the Mac and Text Brewing Company text line. I suppose so, Mora, but I just don't get it. Like, the build-ups to the end. He has a catch with his father. Great. But it's a baseball movie. Supposedly, it's the best baseball movie ever, you know, over Major League and over Bull Durham. And yet, where's the baseball? Where is it? Oh, there's some, you know, hallucinating going on in a cornfield in Iowa, and they're seeing a bunch of ghosts play. He's not going to bring his family to financial salvation at the end of the movie. What, people are driving up to the ballpark? Who wants to, who wants to pay to watch ballpark? Uh, who wants to pay to watch this? You know? I don't know that these ghosts are legitimately the ghosts of baseball players past. You're being compared to Skip Bayless on the text line. Is that what you want? Uh, well, you know what? Sometimes some people have to stand in the wind <laughs> and take their lumps. I, I just don't get it. You know what? If you like it, fine. Hoosiers, at the very least, I get because every single sports movie since then has essentially had the exact same plot. So it hasn't really aged well. That's why I'm not the biggest Hoosiers fan because I feel like I've seen a million sports movies before I actually watched Hoosiers and I'm like, oh, okay, this is kind of the same thing. But I, I don't get Field of Dreams. I don't. But that's just me. It's America. and We're all entitled to our own opinion. And I appreciate you sticking around with me if you disagree. Why are we looking at Dwayne Brown hopefully the starting left tackle for the Seattle Seahawks this coming season, as if he's some geriatric. I mean, he's not even 36 yet. He's going to turn 36 at the end of the month. Last year, he was one of the best pass blockers in the NFL at left tackle. If you take a look at the advanced statistics that ESPN puts together, pass block win rate, he is second only to one offensive lineman, who we will get to a little bit later. Dwayne Brown has been the model of consistency over the course of his career. He has played in every single season of his career, except for 2017, the season that he held out for the first half of the year, at least 12 games. Every single season. Despite playing a position that lends itself to injury. He is the model of toughness. He is as good a run blocker as he is a pass blocker, and yet there's this reservation about giving him an extension past this season. Forget the fact that the Seahawks would be absolutely lost without Dwayne Brown this year and next year at left tackle. Just forget about that, because I think that's the biggest reason that the Seahawks should be giving him an extension. But look at Dwayne Brown objectively. What is the big risk in giving him that deal? Are you really of the assumption that his play is about to fall off just because of his age? Because that's the only argument that I'm getting. And I got into back and forth with John Clayton earlier this morning, and I understand the professor's line of thinking here. We've seen a lot of veterans just sitting out on the open market and not getting a whole lot of money. And he brought up Eric Fisher, and he brought up some other offensive linemen that have gotten deals that honestly, are bargains. But we're not talking about Eric Fisher. We're talking about one of the top 10 tackles in the NFL, a position that is exceptionally hard to find a replacement at. 
Think about how crazy the Houston Texans were trading two first-round picks for Laramie Tunsil, who I'm not even sure is a top half of the NFL left tackle. That is one of the most important positions in the game, and they are so hard to find. Like the Seahawks are going to find out next offseason when they don't have a first-round pick. Say they wanted to go down that rabbit hole to replace Dwayne Brown. They're going to have to find a project guy, sort of like Stone Forsythe, who looks like a massive human being but clearly has a lot of work to do if you've been taking a look at him in training camp to that point, to this point. I mean, he's big, but, you know, guys can get underneath six foot eight tackles. They can get leverage. They can drive by him. And we saw it with LJ Collier in a couple of plays yesterday at training camp practice. So back to Brown. Brown has been a model of consistency for you. And you're not going to have to give Dwayne Brown that much money, I would imagine, to keep him in the fold. We're just asking for, and I say we, a lot of people have texted in, Paul, are you on Dwayne Brown's payroll? I should be. I should be. But I look at Dwayne Brown and I think it's not going to cost that much to keep him around a little bit more. And if you want to make a comparison, let's talk about the guy in the NFL who had the number one pass block win rate. That man plays for the Los Angeles Rams. His name is Andrew Whitworth, and he's going to be turning 40 this year. He was number one in the NFL in terms of pass block win rate this past season. Number one at age 39. He's still playing well. It's possible to still be a good tackle as you get up there in age. I think off-seasons now that they have changed and the wear and tear on an offensive lineman over the course of a season is less. It's not to say that offensive linemen don't obviously get the hell beaten out of them over the course of their career, but I think there's a little bit less now, and that's why you're seeing someone like Andrew Whitworth continue to succeed. That's why you're seeing someone like Jason Peters out there. I can understand being nervous about some middle-of-the-road tackle who's getting up there in age. We're talking about one of the best, and if you don't have him for the start of the season, a guy who has sat out in the past, you're going to open Russell Wilson, one of the most sack-prone quarterbacks in the NFL, to getting hit and to potentially getting injured. He's been a model of consistency. He's been a model of durability, and there is no reason to expect that all of a sudden Russell Wilson is going to get hurt. But by that same logic, just because Dwayne Brown's going to turn 36 at the end of this month, that is no reason, in my mind at the very least, to assume that all of a sudden he's just going to fall off the face of the earth over the next two seasons. At the very least, isn't he going to give you a passable left tackle maybe next season too? A good left tackle this year? Why is it that people are so nervous about giving him a contract? I would like to see the Seahawks extend Jamal Adams, but I think there's more risk involved with the Jamal Adams contract than there is with Brown. I mean, with Brown, we're talking, what, a little more than $10 million a year? Andrew Whitworth signed a three-year, $30 million contract last year. Not a whole lot of guarantees, at least after um, the first year of the contract for this season and the next one. But Dwayne's not going to be asking for much more than that, I would imagine. Are we really just going to arbitrarily draw a cutoff at $10 million a year and say, you know what, yeah, it's not worth having a good left tackle past that? As someone who has watched a similarly mobile quarterback not have a good offensive lineman, not have a good left tackle because they traded him to Seattle. I will just tell you that you do not want to find yourself in a spot where all of a sudden your left tackle isn't good. Seattle's been a great spot since they made that, I think, brilliant trade halfway through 2017 where they only had to give up a second-round pick and a third-round pick to get Brown. It is not going to be that easy to find the next one. 
So what's the harm in signing Dwayne Brown? What are you so scared of? I'm Paul Gallant. This is the Paul Gallant Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. 710-710 is the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. You can tweet me, at Gallant says, as well. I'm sure that some of you have some movie takes that you would like to dive into. We're going to be giving away two tickets to see the Eagles on November 5th at Climate Pledge Arena later in the hour. So make sure that you're still tuned in for your chance to win. Our training camp coverage of the Seattle Seahawks is brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. I'm Paul Gallant. This is 710 ESPN Seattle. This hour of the show is brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. It's 10-11. That means it's time for What's Trending, brought to you by Kings Heating and Air with Maura Dooley. What's up, Maura? Hey, hey. Um, how are you? Feeling better? I am slowly making Mariners progress. made things a little, a little more pleasant for us last night. Yes, they did. I... Did not have my full attention on the game, but I kept on looking up, and I'm like, wow, 1-1. Wow, it's still 1-1. Wow, it's one nothing at first with the Texas Rangers winning, but I did catch the ninth inning. All right, well, that is my trending story. So here we'll go to Luis Terenz walking it off. And the 3-1 pitch to Terenz on the way. Swing and a fly ball deep to center field. This ball game is over. This one is off the top of the wall. Luis Terenz with a base hit to straightaway center. Here comes Kelnick on to score. And the Mariners win it 2-1. A walk-off single by Luis Terenz, who is getting mobbed out there at second base. A random thing that I enjoy in baseball specifically when it comes to walk-off hits is when a guy absolutely smacks one and the outfielder's like, yeah, I'm not even going to bother trying to field it. Because I know that if I catch this, okay, like it's it's going to be an absolute miracle, number one. But if I catch up to it too, if I hustle it down, I mean, Jared Kelnick's easily going to score from second base. And he did. And the game was over. I love it when that happens. So it was great to see that. The Mariners are out of timeout because of it. The pitching has really been doing a fantastic job of late. And the bats got to wake up. It can't be two runs, two runs, three runs, four runs. Like, And since the beginning of the month, outside of an eight-run win against the uh, Tampa Bay Rays, man, they are really struggling to score. The pitching is giving you everything and more. Starters, the bullpen, come on, bats, wake up. Hopefully this is the start of something good. All right. Actually, I'm sorry. I squeezed in an extra story for Ooh. what we were supposed to do there. Didn't mean to do that. Super but we what's trending? To the Mariners yet? Yes. Uh, so we have to get to Colin Cowherd. Back to his old tricks. Uh, just about a month, a month or so ago, he said that the grass was not greener, and Russell Wilson made the right choice staying with Pete Carroll. They're a great fit together. And now, apparently, because Pete Carroll is looking like it's more likely to get Jamal Adams' deal done before Dwayne Brown's. He thinks that Pete Carroll's an egomaniac that's out of control again. Oh, boy. Pete Carroll is not pushing nearly as hard for Dwayne Brown, Russell Wilson's left tackle, a much more important position than he is Jamal Adams, a safety. Why? Because Pete's ego is tied to his defense, and his defense in the last several years has not been very good, and Pete's been called out. For running a defensive style, the league has moved past. And so he's fighting for this Jamal Adams contract to get done. Oh, my God. I 
I, I don't know what to say here other than, okay, I thought the offense was outdated, so now the defense is outdated too, and Pete's so upset about his outdated defense that he felt the need to trade for a safety so that his ego would feel better compared to the greatness that is Russell Wilson. Mark Rogers has clearly been up to a lot this week. This is perhaps tinfoil haddage by me, but whether it's Russ being willing to take a contract restructure, even though the contract restructure is completely unnecessary to a Jamal Adams or a Dwayne Brown contract, or just this idea that Pete Carroll made a trade because of his ego, it's ridiculous. Coward is a smart person. I know that he knows how the game works, and if you throw meat out there, you're going to have some whippersnapper like me pounce on it and say, this is stupid, but at the same time, promoting his take. But I just don't understand how anyone with a rational thought in their head is going to think that an NFL coach is going to trade for a player because of his ego and because he feels overshadowed by the great quarterback that's going to because give him a chance. his offense looks too good. Right. He want, Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Pete Carroll hates having a good offense. Like, that. this is weird, twisted logic. I'll credit Mark Rogers for keep on feeding Mar- uh, uh, one Colin Coward because I feel like it's pretty obvious where this message is coming from. All right, we'll squeeze this uh, one last one in here. We had a lot of guests on Danny and Gallant earlier today, and you got to speak to Jared Kelnick. And he gave us a little more insight on what it was like after the Kendall Graveman trade. Everyone gets to see the numbers and the talent level of Kendall, but what people really don't get to see is just like the genuine person that he is and the leader that he is and how much he affected our clubhouse uh, in such a positive way. That was something that was hard for us to let go right away. I think after the next day or whatever, or the day after that, I felt that we accepted the guys that we got, brought them in, and decided to, the the culture that we were building in that clubhouse, that these guys are now are going to be a part of it. We got really, a really good group of guys now, um, especially Joe Smith, who has been around a while. You know, he's really stepped up in that leadership role, especially with us younger guys. So, like it was, it was definitely frustrating in the beginning, but now we're excited to move on and try to win with these guys. I was frustrated at first after the trade because it felt like they were having a hard time moving on. Kelnick saying all the things that you want to hear coming out of the clubhouse. I like in particular that he highlighted what Joe Smith has been coming into the bullpen and coming into this clubhouse as a veteran presence for this team. It's important to have guys like that. But I also think it's important for Jared Kelnick to, when asked questions like that, to answer it in the absolute correct way. And he did. He is making things look as if they are back on the right page. So, that's good. It was great talking with him. He is he is pretty transparent, and I hope that he stays transparent like this the remainder of his career. Because, you know, as guys get older, Mike Lefko tweeted this out, a producer of Lyman and Bob, that as, as careers go on, some guys, they don't, they don't exactly keep being as open or, I guess, frank. And I like that we're getting that out of Kelnick, whether he's doing interviews with Shannon Dreyer or with Wyman and Bob or with us. I'm Paul Gallant. This is the Paul Gallant Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. We're a little late on this front, but it is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. 710-710, the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Akalant says on Twitter, give me an actual reservation to extending Dwayne Brown that has nothing to do with him being 36. 
Because I think assuming that just because he's 36 years old means his play is about to fall off, I think that you are overthinking it. The guy's good. I think he's going to be good this year. I think he's going to be good next year. What's the harm in paying him $10 million plus for the next couple of seasons, considering how difficult it is to find a left tackle? I'm Paul Galan. It's the Paul Galan Show. Your chance to be heard right now. Your voice, your opinions. It's time to be heard. Every day at 1015 with Paul Gallant. Be heard. 710-710 on the Mac and Jacksburg and Company text line. Paul, I think one of the Seahawks' concerns is that they have been bitten twice signing and extending elderly veterans. Seattle has so many holes this season. I don't see Seattle making a playoff run, continues the texter. I can understand how you would look at past situations and, you know, having talked about earlier how maybe Alden Smith and Josh Gordon and the failures with which those failures, I mean, they, those were guys that you brought in and they weren't massive failures, but they were failures. Maybe you learn from bringing in guys like that to say, yeah, you know what? It's not worth it. It's not worth the resources that we invested in trying to get them on the right page as far as just being good football players. Forget the the off-the-field stuff. We all want those guys to be able to get back and to be human beings that are able to enjoy life. You know, we're not wishing against any of those guys. But as far as the football side of things, do you want to keep giving guys like that a shot? I would say if you take a look at some past contracts that the Seahawks have given out, and I know some people would perhaps point to uh, Marshawn Lynch or, or others, and you'd be like, yeah, this didn't work out so well. But... Brown's been the model of consistency throughout his career, and I don't think that you should expect a tackle to all of a sudden completely drop off and play. The knee issue, yeah, that is something that I would at the very least have in the back of my mind. And, of course, if I am the Seahawks, I'm taking a close look at whatever was said leading up to the surgery that Brown had in 2019 to keep him ready for the playoffs. And I'm asking them, hey, like, what do you really think long-term for this? And I'm sure they're doing that, by the way. But I would just take a look at this objectively. You want to have the best left tackle that you possibly can this year and next year. Dwayne Brown is that option. Simple as that. 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Extending Brown since a bad president, precedent, but you need to do it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it, I mean, it's not, it's not optimal by any means, but I think he has you in a bad situation, and I think it's fair to expect him to continue to play like this. Seahawks should have given Brown a two-year extension, writes another texter, with a voidable second year, so he's taken care of this year and next. I guess that what you would do for, for right now, it would be a would it be a two-year extension. I forget how it works. Sometimes it's like a three-year extension because you might be putting some of the money up front in this year's contract and then moving it around over the course of the deal. So it would be a three-year extension, but it's actually just extending the length of this contract two years. Contracts are weird in the NFL. I don't hate that idea, though. 710710 is the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. You could tweet me at Galan says, Paul, I get your point, but it's kind of falling on deaf ears up here because there's a past history with Walter Jones. He fell off because of injury and still had money left on his contract. I would still pay Jones and players like that because they are future Hall of Famers, and I would gamble on their ability versus an unproven middle-of-the-road player. It is a gamble. I think that's a great way to describe it. You are gambling that that person is going to be able to continue doing the things that he has been doing. But I don't think that these situations are necessarily tied together with Walter Jones and with Dwayne Brown. And I I just think that the situation you're in right now, it calls for having Brown. Russell Wilson gets sacked a lot. How much more would he get sacked without Dwayne Brown? You know, I, 
I look at some of the sack numbers that that guy, Russell Wilson, has had over the course of his career, and I just think to myself, my goodness, he was doing this without Dwayne Brown at one point. Or without somebody that's blocking his blind side. Without someone, by the way, who seems to be holding him accountable to actually making sure he gets rid of the ball at the right time, at least based off of some little clips that we saw of him last year in that game against the Vikings. I'm Paul Galanis the Paul Galan Show. We're going to welcome the Graz into the program next. I'm curious as to how the Graz feels about my take about sports movies like Field of Dreams and Hoosiers. We'll talk about that next, plus more. It's 1030. And that means it's time to get in the sports pit. In the pit where all that stuff goes down, and if you don't have some freaking toughness, you're gonna get your, you're gonna, you're gonna fail. With Paul Gallant. Before we get to the Gras, be the first caller right now: 206-421-3776 or 866-979-3776 to win two tickets to see the Eagles perform at Climate Pledge Arena on Friday, November fifth. Tickets go on sale tomorrow at 10 a.m. at Ticketmaster.com. Winner is subject to venue safety requirements. The Graz joins me now in the sports pit. And Graz, I don't like Field of Dreams and people are upset with me. Well, I don't like Ted Lasso and people are upset with me. It turns out that people have different tastes. Who would have thought? (laughs) Uh, You didn't like Field of Dreams, huh? It's just long, and it gets to the point at the end, obviously, where he has a catch with his dad. There's an emotional moment there. But I feel like the build-up to it, I'm just like, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm out. I'm out. I don't care. The guy's hallucinating, and he's ruining his family along the way. (laughs) That's certainly an alternative explanation of the story. (laughs) (laughs) That's my interpretation. Those cornfields, man, there was something else. There's something else being grown in those cornfields. That's for sure. I don't know if in, in my case it helped that I read the book first. And uh, so I was going to like the, the book is fantastic. I heard the book and is it, way better than the actual movie itself. And some people would argue that the movie did not do the book justice. A lot of times it's hard to do you know, right. books justice. And in this case it, it was. Although I thought the movie captured the, the feeling of the book. I mean, the book was a real surprise. I mean, you really hadn't had anything quite like that before it was uh it, it definitely caught you definitely caught you by surprise so um yeah, look different strokes for different folks but uh you're not allowed to have different opinions on, the, on twitter that's for sure 100 percent. you tweeted yesterday in response to the post by the seattle mariners on twitter showing the new edgar martinez statue outside of t-mobile park no one more deserving of all the mariners that you covered is he your favorite that you covered, obviously, Ken Griffey Jr. was probably a better player. Randy Johnson, too, you can make that case. But was Edgar Martinez your favorite Mariner to cover? Wow, that's tough. Um, I really love covering Jay Buhner, I mean, a a lot, and and have a good friendship with him. And I have one with Edgar, too. I've I've done his charity charity golf tournament for about a dozen years. I, I think what, what you liked about Edgar Martinez, and, and it sounds sounds silly to say unless you were here at the time, but the fact that he was he was he was a, a guy who you know you looked like there may have been a little bit of a communications problem potentially issue with, and then he allowed himself to be a comic character on these fantastic Mariner commercials, and I don't know how many of them you've seen. But they, they, they were utterly, utterly iconic. I've seen and, one and where it, Jay Buhner is bald and he blinds people from the outfield. 
the ones that the ones that Edgar was in. Take take a minute or two during a break and, and just do Edgar Martinez commercials. Okay. And and look up the light the light bat one and there's a couple other ones. He had a sense of of just the humility about about his character about who he was that that he really he really made him very attractive to a lot of people. I, I loved covering him. Uh, he was just a, a great ball player. He wasn't the greatest interview, but that was okay. He was a straightforward, solid interview, and and um, he he was the best right-handed hitter I ever saw. I mean, I'll, I'll certainly say that much. And then was a guy who was, um, you know, it, it gets tired to say, but you know, having had the experience of working with him on his golf tournament uh, for years, just as good a guy off the field as he was on the field. He, he really truly was. And as a guy who stayed in town, I mean, he, he, he did not necessarily have to stay here. Had obvious ties to Puerto Rico and. And uh, stayed here, has been a businessman here, as well as uh, working for the Mariners. So he, he's certainly one of the all-time favorites. We touched on that a little bit earlier, but we, we didn't dive super deep into it. it. It is really rare to see athletes stick around with one franchise to the extent that you saw with Edgar Martinez. We are seeing it with the Mariners and Kyle Seeger. It's weird to think of Kyle Seeger, though, as one of the most tenured Seattle Mariners that there's ever yeah. been. And he really has been one of those guys those days do seem like they are in the past, maybe in the exception of a couple of quarterbacks across the NFL, but it's a bummer in a way. It, it does make the relationship, I would imagine, as a fan that you might have to a sports team feel a little bit different, like it's a brief fling as opposed to this long-term arrangement, this long-term marriage, if you will. I, I will say in the case of Seattle, it, it, maybe it's just, being here all this time but but it seems like you've always kind of had that connection i know when i came here you know the the biggest team that ever played what was the 79 sonics team that won the won the, the nba championship and i got here in 1990 that was a dozen years after and most of those guys who weren't from seattle were still living in seattle which i thought was kind of odd and then and people pointed out how great it was up here and how unique it was up here and and you know there's a lot of a lot of pride about the people have for living up here, which I certainly have have, have gotten used to and, and become a part of, and and then you kind of saw it with, with with other teams, other players. You know, you had a look at Dave Wyman. I mean, in the building there. I mean, you've got lots of guys from lots of teams. It seems in Seattle who have come from other places, but who get one one taste of what life is like up here and stay. So it it has happened. Although you you made a good point though. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's spending his entire career here. So not born and raised here, spending his entire pro career here, and then staying. Right. That's got to be so strange, too, to go from Puerto Rico to Seattle. I mean, you can't – as someone who went on vacation to Puerto Rico earlier this year, I mean, we're talking about two entirely different worlds. And to embrace it that way, obviously it's great here, but that must have been something, especially with how different Seattle is now than it was then. Absolutely right, and Edgar was was one of the one of he was a leader uh, in in the Latin community, and he made he made this kind of a a very hip, unique place for Latin players to be at in the '90s because of him. So there was there was this group of guys, you know, kind of led by led by Edgar, who created this kind of family environment uh, that that made it wide open for for Latin players to to feel to be comfortable in a place where where let's face it, you know, until you know recently where we've all moved everywhere. Uh, you know there weren't a whole lot, a whole lot of those influences around. So, yeah, he was he, he was a significant guy, uh, you know, on and off the field uh, for for players and non-players as well. Graz, is the Dare to Dream Express as far as the playoffs go dead? Yeah, it's it's. It feels it's, that way uh, after the weekend in New York, and and you know maybe maybe it was a long shot, even if they were to have done well. 
against New York, but especially with the way that they have not been scoring recently, despite getting really good outings from their starters and from their relievers too, it, it does feel like it's all of a sudden starting to run out of steam. Well, look, I mean, I, I'm, I'm howling, howling at the wind in this one, but, uh, you know, you, you did something that, that when you change the dynamic in that clubhouse that seemingly has had a, a negative impact on things. Now, now, look, guys may have stopped hitting anyway. Mm-hmm. That, that may not have been the reason why, why they did, but the fact of the matter is they did. You right. know, when, since that trade now, they're 4-9. and nine. Four and nine with, with a bunch of games against the Texas Rangers in that in that group of games as well. They just have not, you know, you, you, you had you had, and I'm not saying that they were bad moves because I don't think they were. I don't think you can look at Abraham Toro and think, wow, it's too bad we got him. It's too bad he's on the team. I mean, you know, you're not you're not saying that, but what what I am saying is that the one thing that's never measured by by analytics is is clubhouses is the dynamic there and you know you had players speak out at how frustrated they were when that move was made i maintained at the time that you don't you don't send that message to your team and expect them to get anything else but you know we're, we're not counting on this year even though they said that we had other deals coming you know teams that were in the race that are, that are or organizations that are in the race are not trading key parts that got them to that point at that point in time. And that's what the Mariners did. So, look, I, I, look, that we, we'll never know the truth. The right. fact of the matter is, though, four and nine since they made those deals. And um, and it's uh, it's too bad because this, this team may not have had it, uh, may, may not have. It was a long shot to begin with. But, you know, it was kind of a cool, a cool in particular that last week there and those wins over Houston. Yeah. yeah a lot of people believe in and, and, and the wind came out of the balloon really, really fast. Sure it did. Maybe there will be some sort of dramatic stretch where this team somehow finds itself back into wildcard contention, but it's definitely going to be an uphill battle the rest of the way. And, and, and you're, you know, I have been dismissive of the chemistry because I feel like there has been such, I think, anger about it when you've brought in two guys that are really good, but there is a point to be made. I mean, it does feel like there's a different dynamic. And while Jared Kelnick sort of dismissed it and said that, Hey, look, we've, it took us a couple of days, but we did get past it. You know, that's, it's, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing I think to authentically feel it, especially if, you know, some of those guys in the clubhouse have some questions about the guys that are upstairs. Right, right. I mean, if, if you had those questions, you still have them, period. Right. I mean, you know, no matter what you say to the media, they, they didn't go away. And if, all, all respect due to Jared Kellnick, he's not a guy who's been around here for nine years waiting for, for the team to compete. So uh, I think it was much more of a thing with veterans than it was with guys who had just been around. He is the Graz, brought to you by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Graz, thanks so much for stopping by. Keep cool. I'll try. I'll try my best. It is hot. It is very hot. I'm so glad I have an air conditioning unit all of a sudden, too, guys. All right, up next, look, a lot of people, I think, have reservations about the Dwayne Brown extension because of his age. What else is there? And would it be more of a risk to give Dwayne Brown a contract than it would be to give Jamal Adams that deal? I'll talk about that next. Don't go anywhere on the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. You're listening to Paul Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Every day at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. I think it would be more risky, long-term, short-term, to give that long-term deal to Jamal Adams, even though it makes more sense for the Seahawks to give that long-term deal to Jamal Adams. He plays a lot more like a linebacker. He's somebody that has already dealt with injuries this past season. Torn labrum, hand, finger injury, 
groin injury. That's just one year. He plays hard. I think he is a plus player for you in that front seven. But if the defense continues to be what it's been and you've got both Jamal Adams and Bobby Wagner making top dollar for you this coming season, are you going to feel great about it? Where with Dwayne Brown, it feels like it's just easy. And easy not from the perspective of you're signing a 36-year-old to an extension. Easy from you don't really have any other options, so why not just take the easy option here at left tackle? Make sure he's there. And what's wrong with making sure he's there next year already? You want him there next year. Do you want somebody else at left tackle? Do you really want to plan on somebody else? Do you think that Stone Forsyth, a sixth-round pick, is all of a sudden going to develop into one of the better tackles in the NFL? Yeah, we have to see how this season plays out. Maybe Dwayne Brown comes into into camp finally and he's not 100%. Maybe he sits out half the year and the second half of the season he doesn't look so good. All of those things are possible. But I, I think it stands to reason that based off of everything we have seen out of Dwayne Brown to this point in his career, a guy who is there 12 games a year, just about every single one, it's not that big of a risk to give him that extension and a little extra guaranteed money. 710-710 on the Mac and Jacks Brewing Company text line. There's a really long text, and it's a shame that sometimes our text machine splits them up into a bunch. But let me try to read this through. Dwayne Brown and the Jamal Adams signing are equally important. Jamal is one of the best instinctive playmakers in the NFL, and Dwayne protects Russ's blindside and does it well. But I think that Jamal changes the play of our defense and the other 10 players need time to adjust to his presence so they can all anticipate rapidly where he's going to be in game situations. So that means that he wants to have Jamal Adams in camp as soon as possible. As Earl Thomas once said during practice, how am I going to know where you will be during a game if you aren't there during practice? I think the defense would benefit more with Jamal time than the offense would having Dwayne earlier. Not to say the offensive line doesn't need time to gel. They do. They do. They definitely do. I mean, Gabe Jackson's a new piece, and you don't know who your center is necessarily going into the year because Ethan Posick's hurt. But I believe Dwayne can come in and dial his role and help the others adjust to it pretty quickly. This text is a long text. It's a good one. And Dwayne doesn't need as much practice being a grizzled veteran. One more point. I know Ethan Posick has done his best, and Russ has praised him, but one of the most important ability of an NFL center as leadership is... He is the quarterback of the offensive line. I heard all the time people talk about the leadership qualities of Justin Britt, that the line got an extra half second off the ball because of Justin's communication, adjustments, and leadership. I have not heard any talk or comments about Ethan Posick's leadership talents, and that concerns me a great deal. I was angry when they didn't draft a good, young, leadership-laden center in the second round. I have since become excited about Dwayne Eskridge and have a model of in John Schneider I trust, but I am still very concerned about our center position and I'm really hoping the additions we have made bring us over the top. Go Hawks. That is a long text, but I think a lot of good points along the way. There should be some concerns about Ethan Posick at center and how he might affect who you now have moved from right guard to left guard in Damian Lewis. And on top of that, who you got at right guard period in Gabe Jackson. Are they going to have to make up for Posick? And, you know, go back to that game against the Rams in the playoffs. The interior of that offensive line was getting pushed around a bit. If the interior of the offensive line is getting pushed around, sure, the guards are to blame, partly. Mike Upati was not a good season for him last year. But, you know, the center's in the middle of it. And the center's not just immune from blame. 
for some of the issues that took place there. <laughs> text in that call. That texter just needs to call in next time. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> Fair point. But I think it was a good text. Uh, the Lions just cut Quentin Dunbar, writes another texter. What's your thoughts on the Seahawks inquiring about his services? No, nah, they've gone down that road. I think they already know what he can bring to the table. I think the guy's dealing with some knee injuries, some knee issues. And that was one of the things that really just hurt his availability for Seattle this past season. And he had that surgery towards the end of the season. I think he knew, yeah, it's just not going to work out here. I think there were some other things, too, that he wasn't playing cornerback exactly the way that Seattle wanted him to. He was playing off a lot more instead of playing up and running back into that cover three defense with some receivers. And I think, I don't think Pete Carroll was thrilled about that. And I think one of the reasons that he was playing so off the line was because, yeah, he just doesn't have that same speed due to whatever is going on with the knee. And he brought it up, too, I think, Pete Carroll, that there was some sort of degenerative uh, knee condition. 710-710, Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text slide. This is sort of going back to a conversation with Gross. Ever since the great trade, I've been able to concentrate and work from home. The trade ruined everything. Not my fault. That is how I do feel for the most part about any upset Mariners after that trade. you got to move on. Hopefully last night was a start or a just step in the right direction. Playoffs are something are, that are entirely removed from my mind right now. You still need to finish the season out strong and show as a clubhouse that you have a little backbone after something like this. I'm Paul Gallant. This was the Paul Gallant Show. Big thanks to the Gras who stopped by in the sports pit, to Maura Dooley who produces this show every single day, and to all of our texters and our tweeters. I am merely Paul Gallant. So long, farewell. Jake and Stacey are next.